Hello, and welcome to New Reality, the show that empowers tomorrow's future today. New Reality is an organization that provides the upcoming generation with a platform to grow mentally, physically, and spiritually through our various initiatives. Today, we are going to be talking about mental health and religion. I am beyond honored and stoked to introduce someone who I've known for the past few years. I know from my own experience that doing this work has made it possible for me to regain confidence and feel empowered to become a better version of myself every single day. She's a psychotherapist at Caribou Mental Health Network. Nawaga Masisi, please do the honors. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for welcoming us uh, into your platform or onto your platform today. So as mentioned already, my name is Nawanga, and I'm a registered psychotherapist at Caribou Mental Health Network. Um, I'm joined today w- uh, with Deshaun. Deshaun. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Deshaun. I'm the first point of contact for folks over at Caribou. I work closely with clients to ensure that they are matched with the best therapist for their needs and provide additional support throughout the process as needed. So we are a group of BIPOC therapists who are dedicated to serving the communities that we come from. I started this collective sometime last year after hearing from several of my own clients just how frustrating it was to find a place to engage in their own therapy in a way that felt like it was respectful and considerate of the common experiences in other cultures. Um, As a person myself whose culture deviates a lot from the dominant Western narrative, I felt really compelled to do something about it. And so Karibu was born. Yeah. And since then, we've been joined by six other therapists and hopefully we continue to grow. And as we do this important work within the communities and cultures, we ourselves know so well. That is so awesome. Thank you so much for that great introduction on Caribou Mental Health. Um, So actually, to start with our first discussion topic, I wanted to know, in your experience as a psychotherapist working with clients of various religions and backgrounds, what two challenges and or struggles do your clients come across? Yeah, so thank you for that, Chazzy. I think that is a great question. Right off the top of my head, I would have to say that in my time as a psychotherapist, um, I've seen an interesting pattern in the primary complaints that folks come with me to kind of discuss Typically, somebody will come in with things like, you know, I'm having difficulty concentrating in school, or I want to get tools um, to help me with productivity at work or be better at being a better friend or something like that, which is great. Um, And it's fantastic. And the work is great until we actually start to do the work. And then we start to realize that at the core, something much deeper is actually going on for them. Um, And I've seen this happen a lot surprisingly. So to do this question justice, I think the best way to do it is like, those are two examples, very high level examples of what folks come in with. So, you know, support with their own mental health while they're in school or finding productivity tools. But I'll add two more that are are very specific to faith. Um, So an interesting mental health problem that I'll often stumble stumble onto with my clients is a deep-seated worry that embarking on a mental health journey will actually negatively impact their own devotion to their faith. It's actually a really interesting problem. If explored deeply enough, uh, usually it lands us somewhere deep in unpacking the stigma around mental health that unfortunately still exists in society today. And so another one is feeling socially alienated, not just from friends and family, but from sources of help for whatever the individual is is working through at that given moment. 
But if we think about it, a lot of the popular mental health accounts, it makes sense because a lot of the popular mental health accounts all over social media, they're sharing tools, which is a great thing, and perspectives and resources, but they're quite mainstream. And so the typical material being shared is also going to be very mainstream, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's useful for some folks, but for some, it's too generalized. And as a result, it can actually reinforce stigmas, unhelpful thought processing patterns, feelings of loneliness, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I've, I've heard this, this, you know, this stigma, like even, you know, sometimes um, even in, you know, in the mosque, sometimes our imam, you know, people believe, for example, you know, like religion or the Quran is going to solve all their problem. Right. What's the root of this stigma? Like, is it, is it, is it, is it shame? What's your perspective? Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's an excellent, excellent point to kind of bring up. I think shame uh, in and of itself as an emotion is a big one. Shame actually falls under the umbrella of self-conscious emotions. If you think about it, we're all human beings. Like, mm-hmm. you know, forget everything else that we have going on around us, our culture, our understanding of our, our gender, our religion, uh, the families we come from. At the end of the day, we're all just people. And deep down inside, none of us actually wants to feel or know that we're a bad person, even if we're doing bad things. And, and so this is where we get into the territory. And by bad things, I say that with quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where we start to see some of the problems kind of arise. So we often, because we're humans and we're people and we have brains, we have minds, we're actually driven to rationalize or deflect or project or, you know, uh, do all kinds of, you know, things that show up in the psycholo- standard psychological defense uh, things that we have in our, our minds arsenal to kind of relieve ourselves of our insecurities, you know, and the insecurity could be like, you know, I don't want to be a bad person or I feel like I'm a bad person. I don't feel like I'm good enough. Um, I don't want to be a disgrace to the family. I don't want to be the one that causes all the rifts within the family. And we mm-hmm. do this in an effort to try and make ourselves feel better, but that's temporary, right? And mm-hmm. this is, I guess, that at the core of what we're doing when we're working with mental health concerns. If we never really deal with the problem at the root, it's hard to stop having the same problem. So we kind of have mm-hmm. to approach it with different tools. I think also there's a process of a person trying to, I would say, find themselves. So in the midst of trying to find themselves, they end up causing a lot of pressure for themselves, which creates, mm-hmm. uh, I need a solution to this problem. I need religion as a solution. I need X as a solution. I need Y as a solution. And that kind of kind of falls out of lap from there. Yeah, absolutely. I think Deshaun brings up a really good point. Like, you know, if I'm just, if I'm just a better Muslim, we often hear this one, right? Yeah. If I could yeah. just, you know, recite you know, if I could just hit all five prayers, if I could just like recite this, you know, more, if I could just do better. And, you know, while for a solution, we're up here, that's at the top level, that seems like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, again, if we're kind of missing the deeper thing that's kind of going on for us, which is maybe these feelings are stemming from feeling like we're not worthy of some kind of like, you know, healing or relief that we receive from religion or the way we're applying these concepts to us doesn't really make sense to the environment that we're living in. Right. Um, Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And, and you and you touched on a really like important thing, which is like when you don't feel like you're worthy of it, it comes out in different ways. It comes Absolutely. out in self-destructive ways. It comes out in ways that where you're self-sabotaging, for example. For sure. mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to touch on two things. So you mentioned one thing about stigma around mental health and mm-hmm. also feeling alienated when it comes mm-hmm. to these kinds of topics. I was wondering if you could just elaborate on like some of the examples of like some of the clients. Oh, of course I understand confidentiality but like um like what are some examples that actually identify exactly what these stigmas are yeah so let's use the context that we're in right now so we're we're all in Canada not everybody for example is Muslim right Mm -hmm. so we're going to school uh if we're in like mainstream you know public school we're not going to be 100% surrounded by people who have the exact same worldview as we do. Maybe somebody's from a different faith. Maybe somebody just doesn't believe in anything themselves. So when somebody begins to have their own challenges, typically, let's say if we were in a different society where Islam was like the dominant religion, there would be several different sources to be able to deal with whatever challenges are going on for the individual. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like go to this talk or attend, you know, this little community group that's going on or, oh, all the children over here, they're dealing with like, you know, uh, learning challenges and like they found some way to construct it within um, like a religious kind of context or something like that. But in Canada, it's not necessarily so. And so an individual may relate with their friend that like, hey, like I have difficulty concentrating in class, but then the reasons for why these difficulties are hard to manage for them may be different from the other individuals. So it might be like, well, you know, in my family, we don't really talk about problems when we have them. We just pray them away or Mm -hmm. we just, uh, we just, you know, make sure that we really cling tight to, you know, whatever group my aunt is leading or something like that. Whereas like the other friend might be like, Oh, like my parents, the solution to that is like, I'm going to go and like speak to a mental health professional not everybody comes to these problems the same way. And so it kind of creates some imbalances um, or some differences in how we go about achieving the solutions. Also, you know, be, you know, on the point of we are human beings and we all have brains and we all have minds, the way we make sense of the world around us is different, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. from a religious perspective, that's a very specific perspective of how we're going to make sense. How are you going to tell me then that like, oh, this is because I'm, you know, making assumptions, I'm engaging in black and white thinking, I'm catastrophizing when the only sense that I have is that, oh, I'm not being pious enough and therefore these problems are coming to me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely know like from my own family's story, uh, the way mental health was dealt with, you know, back home, was absolutely, you know, trying to understand it through the perspective of spirits and and things, you know, happening to you. And it was very <laughs> mystical and not grounded really in, in anything, which is fine. Mm. It worked, I guess, for the time. But I can yeah. just imagine in the West how this might not necessarily work. You know, like my teacher might oh, be like, it's it's still right. here. Yeah, it, we it still do that in Canada as well. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh my God, there's like my mental health issue. You must be possessed or something like that. Right? Mm-hmm. The teams have yeah. come for you. And you're just like, ah, 
like what's going on right (laughs) and then you Um, go see a spiritual like um imam or like you see someone it's like okay you need to do this for this mental health when it's it's mm -hmm. it's so much more than just that uh sorry i just had to i had to like no i love that that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. no i love that and so we're getting now to the point of stigma right Mm -hmm. so what is stigma this is like Mm -hmm. on unfounded bias it's a thing that as human beings we haven't quite figured out how to really work our way around it if you look at all the major complaints or troubles that we've had as a race of human beings we always kind of stumble onto those stories of like discrimination or alienation or isolation and and things all the shuns I guess um Mm -hmm. and things like this so it's it's kind of like you know it's it happens within our experience where when we don't know what something is, we don't have all the information, we start to create our own like rationale of kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that can actually be the root of, of the problem for many people. And then, you know, you throw in shame and you throw in guilt, you throw yeah. in pride and got yeah. embarrassment and then cocktail for disaster. <laughs> it's a whole cocktail. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you know it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, interesting now. Like I was talking to someone uh, when therapist is going to be on 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 uh, one of the podcasts. So so he, like his Muslim and we were talking about like he's saying like every time you listen to the Friday prayer, mm. it feels like either we're going to hell or we're going yeah. to heaven. Yes. You know, yeah. it isn't, and, and I think that's the root of, you know, and that, and that's also one of the re- reason why a lot of young people are leaving religion is, you know, it's, you know, it's like, you, I mean, we're all imperfect soul, you know, mm-hmm. like we, we're all trying our best, but why is it so difficult to just, to, to just accept people like you are perfect as you are already. Right. And, 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 and it's like, we all feel we've got defects we are imperfect and we're aiming for something in the future mm-hmm. which we will never ever get to it's like continuously we're saying there's something out there or i have to do something i have to go and see somebody because i'm imperfect yeah yeah no i think i think that you bring up a great point like so a couple of things that I'm hearing, even I will do a little bit of this like on the fly that I'm hearing yes. here is like mm-hmm. so this is this is black and white thinking This Mm -hmm. is black or white, right or wrong, moral and moral. We get caught when we're in there. We actually need to live within the gray. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be very challenging when, to your point, a lot of what we're hearing is like, do this or this is going to happen. This major consequence. There's no room Mm -hmm. in between, right? And I think another point here is that we often do kind of move through the world. Maybe this is a little philosophical thinking that there's some destination, right? Mm. Like I, like at 20, I need to be this. That's my destination. Then we get to Mm -hmm. 20 and we're like, oh my God, I'm still doing this thing called life. Like, what am I supposed to do now? And so we just keep kind of like looking Mm -hmm. for that destination and missing the point that this is actually a journey. This Mm -hmm. is actually a process. There is Mm -hmm. no perfect in any of this. Um, In fact, the idea that perfection exists, like, this is what we call perfectionism. Like it's not mm-hmm. achievable. It's not attainable. It's not there. So really breaking that down while keeping a person's perspective intact and honoring it and taking the positives from it of like, you know, you have a template, you have a standard to which you can, you can move towards. There are things you can do every day 
in your life. Again, that's the process mm-hmm. versus, you know, okay, you know, I prayed five times and I did all of, I fasted all of Ramadan. And so therefore I need to like, you know, have all the love in my heart. And then at mm-hmm. the end of Ramadan, I'm like, but I still don't have all the exactly. love in my heart. Like what's <laughs> going on? <laughs> right? I'm, still not, I'm still not feeling good. You yeah. know, like mm. what happened? <laughs> Oh yeah. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, this is this is such a great discussion. So actually just circling back to our first question where we talked about the different challenges and struggles that you've experienced with your clients, I actually just wanted to probe on that and ask, what do you think are some contributing factors to this challenge? Yeah, so I think that this is a really, really good segue. You know, it's important for us to understand that for every problem, we have to understand what contributes to the problem kind of existing. Without understanding that mm-hmm. piece, the equation is not going to get solved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, it brings us to the conversation of nature and nurture or nature versus nurture, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I think we've all kind of heard before. Whether a person's mental health challenges stem from, let's say, temperament in their personality biological predisposition to certain psychological vulnerabilities, you know, so that's the nature, Um, or they're the result of like trauma, whether it's experienced within a person's current life experience or passed down generationally, you know, like immigration experiences, sudden or significant changes to a person's life. That's more of, of uh, nurture. Mm -hmm. These factors will all kind of contribute to a person's issues depending on a bunch of other variables that that need to be identified. So we've talked a little bit about family, social circles, friends, schools, access to like, you know, poverty, access to um, finances, resources, Mm -hmm. things like that. So if we, but if we focus specifically on the two faith related concerns that I brought up earlier, a person's assumptions about themselves and the world, you know, we call these core beliefs may actually be driving the worries that they have that cause them to reject, uh, you know, mainstream mental health tools, you know, out of fear that it will directly contradict their faith's principles. Um, Maybe they witnessed someone else's journey and then came to their own conclusion that somehow that's some kind of proof that working on your mental health can't happen while you're also devoted to faith, right? That's a bit more complex. And there may be a combination of things that are going on for that person to draw on. You know, and these things might include like the stigma that we're talking about, fear of change, fear of the unknown, assumption making, guilt, shame, bunch of different things. But there are definitely several different factors and they can show up for different people in different ways. It just depends on what combination you actually have. And this is where having a therapist can be helpful not to, you know, shamelessly plug, but this is where having a therapist can be helpful because you get to learn what your combination is and then work from there. One of my friends, I'm sure he's, if, uh, once he's going to listen, he's going to know. He was telling me like he was feeling depressed mm-hmm. and very depressed. So he went to see his doctor saying, I'm feeling depressed. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said to him, go for Hajj. Mm-hmm. And then like he said to me, like, do you think Hajj is going to help me with my depression or do I need something? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think sometimes, you know, just telling people to go for pilgrimage doesn't necessarily, because if you've got a chemical, you know, imbalance. Yeah. You know, like religion is not the answer to everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe this is something that we can like dig into deeper in, in the, the questions that kind the of follow yep, here. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think you're, you're hitting on a really important point here. Because we're so driven to destination or to 
fix me, fix it, Mm -hmm. get rid of Mm -hmm. it. We want to overlook all of the nuance. I think like a lot of good therapy is done in the nuance of things, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's in the gray there. It's somewhere in the middle. Every person's different. So I cannot comment on this person's specific um, mm-hmm. experience, but you know, maybe Hodge could have given him something mm-hmm. um, in the form of routine. So for example, mm-hmm. CBT is very known for talking about a very structured way about going about behavioral activation. They call this behavioral mm-hmm. activation. It could be that, you know, like you need to get on some kind of routine or schedule, and then that will help you alleviate some of these symptoms that you're experiencing because then you have something to look forward to in the next day. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's chemical. And I hate to say this, but there's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of piety that's going to remove that, that, you know, nature aspect of things. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I do think that it's a combination of, even when we're approaching our own mental health challenges, it's a combination of tools that are going to help you. I also Mm -hmm. don't, you know, place myself out there and say like, I have the answers to everything. No, I definitely do encourage clients that I work with to access the different resources that they have available to them and anything that's missing that could be helpful. Let's find a way to incorporate that or bring that into your being so Mm -hmm. that, or into your your day-to-day experience so that you can get that relief that you need in order for you to be able to cope through what's Mm -hmm. going on for you. I wanted to ask, how can culture impact a person's personal viewpoints on mental health and religion? I can answer this. Uh, Well, (laughs) mental health stigma has existed in our communities for a really long time. This is not new. Uh, So it's easy to understand how one's culture might have had a certain perspective about mental health that actually promotes the discrimination of people with mental health challenges and or prevent folks from seeking help from outside resources. As a personal example of mine, I was raised Christian. So a lot of the conversations involving mental health or therapy were very dynamically different things. As someone from a Caribbean background, a lot of those conversations were one way. And then when I would talk to religion, it would, or in a Christian background, sense, it'd be a completely different answer. So those can be kind of, yeah, definitely overlapping and create a mix of a, emotions for the person going through that journey or process. Yeah, I think I think that that's a really great point, Deshaun. That's exactly how culture impacts a person's viewpoint of their own mental health. It may be hard for us to set boundaries, assert our own perspectives within a family system. Let's say, for example, you know, maybe we come from a family system that's not very open to new or different ideas, or is very skeptical with doing things different from how they've always kind of been done. This may not be tied to religion directly, because uh, I don't think there's any religion out there that says live this way and only this way um <laughs> aside from who you must you know who who you who you see as god but it certainly happens enough for us to kind of mention that there are other things within cultures within the way we exist in this world that actually impact our own viewpoint and when we're talking about stigma we're talking about discrimination we're talking about you know the taboo of mm-hmm. of having problems in that way we're talking about shame again this is when all these things uh, kind of start to bubble up. You know, just to add to that, I think that it creates such a confusing dynamic, at least I know amongst the youth, especially when it comes to culture and religion. It's like, if we don't do certain things within our religion, we're classified bad. And if we don't follow them in culture, we're also classified bad. It's like, okay. And and I know that we touched on this, like, um, in a, in a previous uh, podcast, which is like, what is our identity? Like, who are we? 
you know, mm-hmm. what do we actually like, what do we, what do we actually stand for? You know? So I think that there's so many layers. It's almost like peeling an onion to figuring out like, who are you really? And like, mm-hmm. where is the stigma coming from? Like, why are mm-hmm. you struggling with mental health and religion? Like specifically, like there's so many different dynamics to that. These are great points. Yeah. So that actually brings us to our next question, which is what are some tools that you think individuals could use to navigate their mental health and religion? Again, very broad, very broad (laughs) question, but I'll do my best here. Um, I think journaling. I love journaling uh, because I think it's a way in which we can kind of gain more insight into our own thought process and our patterns that are playing out in life. I do find that it's a lot easier. I mean, not just the clients that I work with. I'm a human being too. So it's very true for me too. It's a lot easier for us to make sense of our emotional struggles once they're out on paper or they're out like on a digital uh, journal or something like that. And that's because we get to stand on the outside and then finally look at our thoughts. And it can be a little triggering or a little difficult to like, look at the things that our mind is producing, but imagine trying to do that whole entire process in your mind, right? With all the defense mechanisms that are there. It's very difficult. Um, Interesting mm -hmm. uh, that you mentioned journaling, like my wife just loves it. Mm -hmm. And me, like for years I try, Mm -hmm. I do one page and the next day I stop. If I'm struggling with journaling, what would you suggest? What would be, because I know, I mean, they say journaling sometimes, you know, like even after a while, it's like your soul that starts to speak to you when you're yeah. writing. Yeah. So the reason why journaling is so powerful is it kind of gives you a way to connect to your subconscious world, mm-hmm. right? Our minds, it is a very fascinating like tool, if we're going to call it that, right? And we are not always there within our subconscious. We're not always aware of what's in our subconscious. When we write, it comes out. And for Mm. many people, I mean, not for everybody, but for many people, when they struggle with journaling, there's a barrier to accessing the subconscious, Mm. the subconscious, you know, for whatever reason, the mind is like, Nope, you're not going to go in there. So one way to kind of overcome that is to work with specific prompts. And I tell folks, this does not need to be, you know, while like, oh my God, I did so much research and I got like, you know, this hundred dollar book and like they have these like Mm -hmm. prompts and like, it can be, you know, like, what are you grateful for today? What was the challenge for you today? How could you have approached that challenge better? And, you know, what are you taking away from wherever you are at right now? Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. working with those four prompts over and over and over again, kind of relaxes that muscle around blocking Mm -hmm. your subconscious a little bit it may take you a while to figure out the, the prompts that speak the most to you. So I definitely know mm-hmm. there are a lot of apps that are out there, journaling apps, folks who are, are creating mm-hmm. a lot of these prompts, putting them on social media. Everyone has access to them. They're in abundance, but not all of them are going to speak to you. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not about gratitude. Maybe it's about, you know, acknowledging struggle within your life, right? A lot of us will dismiss it. I'm not struggling. You know, I'm not starving. I have a place to sleep. So why should I like have problems? And yet I have problems, right? Yeah. Um, so finding those prompts that speak to you and then journaling from that point. I also have heard from folks that sometimes it's fun or it kind of moves the, the thought juices if they read a stimulating article about mental mm-hmm. health. And then all that they do within their journal is kind of reflect back on what that 
article made them think mm-hmm. about. And then you start from there and it's like, you know, oh, I took this away from that. I didn't know this, or this is how I see these patterns showing up in my life. They were talking about people pleasing. I'm, oh my God, like, yeah. am, I, am I worried about this? Like, oh, do I do that sometimes? Boundaries, like, wow, where can I like put boundaries in my mm-hmm. life? Do I have too many? Do I have rigid ones? Do I have too few? What's going on? These are mm-hmm. all ways in which you can kind of crack the code as it were and get mm-hmm. into a really mm-hmm. good regular journal practice. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that. Um, So I I completely understand when it comes to, you know, journaling and not being comfortable with it. Um, I know personally, I've struggled with that in the beginning and I actually started doing a travel journal. And now I absolutely love journaling because just as Nawanga was saying, it does bring your subconscious to light. And also, if I don't feel like journaling that day, there's probably a reason why. And that means that is the one day that I need journaling the most. Yes. <laughs> so that, that's what I've learned. And um, I know that especially with journaling, like absolutely love it. There's been so many times where I've actually read through my journals and I'm like, oh my God, first of all, who writes like that? And second of all, <laughs> I'm like, what am I even saying in this? And what I what I typically do, this is actually like bringing my education into it, but it's called thematic analysis where you're going in and you're identifying patterns. And oh. there are so many things. That, it's just how our brains work, you know? Like we can store only so much in our brains to only repeat the same patterning again. So how do you break those patterns? You break them by identifying them. And over time, I started realizing, I'm like, okay, well, this is a pattern. I keep doing it to get the same result. I need to start breaking this pattern. And it was only through journaling that I found that. Um, So I think it's just absolutely profound. It's a super helpful technique and tool for people who are just struggling with mental health. And and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Sometimes when you get things written on paper, you're like, wow, like, I actually feel so much better. It's similar to meditating. Mm -hmm. And I know that Mm -hmm. Ruben absolutely loves meditating. So Mm -hmm. that can be a whole different podcast. But yeah, I just wanted to add to that. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. I I definitely think that that's that's huge. It's like, you know, one thing I often say within my practice is that, you know, when our time is done, right? When you're ready to go out there into the world, think of me as the journal. Mm Because essentially what you're doing with your therapist is you're disclosing all of your thoughts and your feelings. So mm-hmm. think of the journal as your therapist and you can, you can engage in what I guess was classically known as auto-psychotherapy, where you kind of, you start to work with some of these really deep-seated thoughts or, or beliefs or, or problems, issues that you feel like you have. And this is one way in which you can actually begin to do it on your own. So whether it's whether there's a theme to it, right? It's travel. And then like, these are the things I see myself do on travel or, you know, it's around school or it's around personal development or it's around, you know, relationships or whatever it is. This is a really, really good way to start really getting into the meat of kind of what's going on. Do you think that sometimes um, with journaling, there's a fear of starting to reveal who you really are and you don't want and, you know, like you, you don't want this reveal of like, like, who am I actually? Absolutely. And so when we like, you know, towards the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about shame and we were talking mm-hmm. about like the self-conscious emotions. Mm-hmm. This is why putting it on paper is so important, even though it's, it sounds easy. It's actually quite difficult if you're mm-hmm. truly being honest from you, with yourself. We do sometimes hide ourselves from ourselves. 
And mm. there could be like, you know, very serious reasons. Maybe we went through some trauma. And so there's a portion of our life that we just kind of blanket out and we're not mm. even doing it on purpose. We're not consciously doing it. Like we just don't have access to it. And so, you know, the, we start to see the journal as this like really dangerous tool because on some subconscious level, we know that once we start, this is going to start bubbling to the surface. Mm-hmm. Also, sometimes we can be quite judgmental. And it's not just towards other people. It's towards ourselves, especially mm-hmm. if you're, yeah. you're talking about things from the perspective of religion and faith. Like, I don't want to know that I'm jealous. I don't want to mm-hmm. know that, like, I'm, you know, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm experiencing schadenfreude. Like, I'm delighting it's in somebody's dialogue. Failure, so right? I don't want to know any of these things. And so... For me to put it on paper, I often hear people say it makes it real. And I'm like, mm. because it is. Just because it's inside and you're not, you're not actively having that conversation with yourself does not mean that you're not acting on it. Does not mean that it's not real for you. That can also sometimes create that block of like not really wanting to uh, see ourselves for who we are. I think that that gets into the territory of ego and pride and, and we all have this, not talking about egotistical situations, Mm -hmm. just regular, like, I don't want to be seen as a bad person. And it sounds so simple, but it's like, it's, it's kind of a big deal. That's so great. Before we wrap up this wonderful discussion, do you have any key takeaways for our listeners? I would say, and I'll ask Deshaun to help me with this one, but I would say if you're on the fence about therapy, just give it a go. You know, mm-hmm. and I know I'm the biased one here because, like, you know, I'm the therapist. Again, no shameless plugs here, but really seriously, give it a go. There's so much to kind of uh, accomplish from within there. Yeah. And honestly, the worst thing that can happen is that you just don't like it. And then you know for sure that it's not the path for you to take right now at this point in your life. Yeah. I think also what you touched upon it, like, we're constantly wearing different masks depending on who's in front of us. Yes. So I think with a therapist, what I find, I've done therapy myself, is you drop all the masks. Yeah. If you are honest enough to drop all the masks, now you're able to let somebody really see who you are. Yeah. Your, in your strength, in your weaknesses, in your you know, defects. Because in general, we're hiding all this from society. Because as you said, you know, we don't want society to, to see truly who we are. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, and I think if you're in a, in a really safe and non-judgmental and supportive space, your therapist is going to be able to basically go after those masks and they will, mm. they'll let you know, do you see that you're doing this? Do, what, is, what do you make of this? Where does this come from? How is mm. this helping you? I think some people think that when they go to therapy, they're going to be judged that we're there mm. to like with the hammer, right? Yeah. To be like, this is bad. We're not bad there person. to do that, right? <laughs> it's the complete opposite. Right. Yeah. Where we want to understand where that person is coming from. And yeah. I guess with our empathy, like put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And it can feel very validating. It is a very intimate process. It is unlike any other type of dynamic that you're going to, to get with anybody else because you are going to be dropping those masks. And as you are, I heard one time on a podcast, it's not just about when we're hearing each other's stories. As a therapist personally, it's not just about the story that I'm hearing. 
it's an honor for me to be able to witness somebody in that way and them mm-hmm. pouring into my cup as much as I'm going to pour into their cup. So you're not going to go in there and like lose sight of your therapist. You're probably also going to learn your therapist quite well and get to know them quite well and, and get to know what, like when they're like not pleased with something that you're saying. It's still such and a beautiful mm-hmm. relationship. It's, it's beautiful. It's very yeah. beautiful. It's very intimate. Um, it's a very sweet, sweet, sweet relationship. And a lot of people, um, they're missing out when they don't want to go there. You know, like it really breaks my heart to know that there's so many people out there uh, that endure suffering when there mm-hmm. really is no reason to do that. And there's options to live life a different way. So I guess my main thing is, you know, find help, find that listening ear, a professional mm-hmm. place. It's very different from these other places where we're governed um, or we're held to certain standards. We cannot, you know, like go and disclose your story, like on a podcast for the fun of it. Like we cannot do any of that. So, um, and process, process with this person. And honestly, you will not regret it. Thank you so much for having us. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to speak on these very important issues. And we'd like to offer to your listeners a special promotion. If you're listening in today and would like to start your own process, feel free to reach out to me directly and quote the name of today's episode for a special rate for your clients. That is awesome. Thank you so much, Nolanka and Deshaun, for this insightful discussion on mental health and religion. I've learned so much, and I'm positive our listeners will also feel the same way. Do you, Ruben, do you have any other closing remarks before I go ahead with uh, Nolanka's socials? Uh, no, me. I just feel like I got a free therapy session today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, so I much. mean, for our listeners, if that's also how you feel, please feel free to reach out to Caribou Mental Health. So um, I'm actually just going to go over the social. So make sure you check out all of uh, the social media platforms on Instagram, which is at kmhn.ca, Facebook at Caribou Mental Health Network. You can also call to speak with our team directly at 289 946 2566 or email booking at kmhn.ca so we'll say that again it's booking at kmhn.ca for the special offer to get started on your own mental health journey thanks uh, you all for listening be you become awesome and stay rising right.